at the beginning of the week when um, I started thinking through uh, the schedule for the Sunday school class or revisiting the schedule. Um, I was ambitious and said, okay, we need to catch up a little bit because we're a little behind. So I'm going to do questions 15 through 19. And that was a good idea at the time. (laughs) And then I started to work through the questions and the study and we will not get through 19. So we'll do 15 to 17 and remain behind, but that is okay. We'll work through this um, in a paced, measured way and hopefully be able to grasp uh, and hold these truths, um, to store them in our hearts, to meditate on them and to really uh, be able to uh, glorify um, and glory in our triune God as we do meditate on these things. So this morning we'll get through 15, uh, 15, 16, 17, and an Orthodox catechism. Who has their book, the catechism? Okay, good. All right, so, good. Yep, see you. Okay, good. So a lot of you have the book. I I don't think we have any more copies, but it's actually, uh, you can find it online too. The uh, Kindle version is on Amazon. so that might be helpful as well if you don't actually have a physical copy. And then the questions are on the handout, so hopefully that, that helps as well. So we'll pick up this morning again at question 15. So I, I want to read out of Exodus 34 before we start working through these questions. Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. Exodus 34, 6 through 7. I want us to keep this in mind as we work through uh, the study this morning. Exodus 34, 6 through 7. I'll read it for us. Starting at verse 6. The Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. I want us to keep in mind what we see here concerning the the nature um, and the character of God. Merciful, slow to anger, gracious, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, but will not clear the guilty. Now, as we look at questions 15 through 19 or uh, 17, the question of how God reconciles to himself will, while remaining just is sort of what we want to think about, right? Uh, Exodus 34 says he's uh, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. So how does God reconcile? How does he clear the guilty? How does he justify and yet remain just. God requires perfection. We, we, we talked about this last week. And I, I said uh, three, um, 
the three P's of this obedience that God requires. Remember I said uh, this obedience ought to be perfect, personal, and perpetual. Perfect, personal, and perpetual obedience to the law of God. Uh, Question 13, which we looked at, asked, are we able to sanctify God's justice by ourselves, rather satisfy God's justice by ourselves? Can we satisfy God's justice? We've sinned against God, and not only are we not able to atone for our own sin, but we are adding to the debt daily by nature. Uh, Romans says we're storing up wrath against ourselves in the day of wrath, right? So if you imagine someone moving from one location to another they're 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 filling up the u-haul they're going into the house they're grabbing boxes and they're putting it in the u-haul grabbing boxes and putting it in there they're filling up this u-haul as they plan to drive um we're storing up by nature wrath against ourselves um for the day of wrath we've sinned against god um so how can a god who is holy and just clear the guilty Now, Arnie explained the logic of question 14 when he said, is there any creature in heaven and on earth that can satisfy God's justice? What else in creation fits the necessary qualifications for atonement for man's sin? We know that animals won't work. Why why, Why is an animal not sufficient to atone for the sin of man? What do you think? What comes to mind? Any verses come to mind? Any? I was going to say man has to atone for man's sin. Yeah. Man has to atone for man's sin. Uh, Hebrews 10.4 says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Right? Animal sacrifices are eliminated as a possible solution for satisfactory atonement. Yes, God put the sacrificial system in place for a time uh, that God would be able to dwell with a sinful people. Um, Sin had to be addressed and it had to be punished. And so animal sacrifices were instituted for a time that God would be able to dwell with his people. But those types of sacrifices were requirements under the old covenant and Hebrews 8 says the first covenant has become obsolete and it's ready to vanish away we know that um, angels cannot atone for man's sin either Hebrews 1:14 calls them ministering spirits they don't have physical bodies like men right so animals are not sufficient an angel cannot atone for the sin of man Right. And that leads us to question 15 in an, an Orthodox catechism. What manner of mediator and deliverer then must we seek for? It's not an animal. It's not an angel. Who do we seek? What, what mediator, what deliverer can actually atone satis- in a satisfactory way for our sins? Now, if you remember the the breakdown of an Orthodox catechism, it's broken up into three sections. So who remembers those three section heads? Uh, Crystal? 
Misery, deliverance, and gratitude. Yes. Misery, deliverance, and gratitude. Or misery, um, uh, deliverance, and thankfulness. Right? Misery, redemption, and thankfulness. Okay? So those are the three categories. So we're, we are now in the uh, deliverance or redemption uh, section of the catechism. Which brings us to, again, this question of the mediator, the deliverer. So someone read the answer to question 15 there in the catechism. What manner of... Go, go, go ahead, sorry. Okay, so one who is man and one who is God. He must be man and he must be God. Um, another way to, to, to word that, uh, the Savior and Redeemer must be truly man, but not merely man, but he must be truly God. Now, if we go back to Hebrews 10, verses 4 through 7, we see the mystery of Christ's unique nature. Turn to Hebrews 10. We'll read verses 4 through 7. Now, in Hebrews 10, we'll see what he had to become, this mediator, in in order to be our mediator and in order to fulfill the covenant of works. We see what he had to become. Um, Someone start at verse 4 and read through verse 7 in Hebrews 10. Read nice and loud for us to hear you. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written for me of me in the scroll of the book. Thank you. Now, I want to draw out specifically here uh, the end of verse 5. Uh, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. This is uh, communi- communicating to us, the scriptures are communicating to us what the mediator must be. Right? He, uh, a, a body, he says, is, is prepared for me. So the second person of the Trinity um, didn't uh, merely... Um, come down and um, uh, go into a, 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 another body and sort of fill that body and in that body he accomplished all righteousness but a body was prepared for him and we'll talk about that when we talk about the virgin birth um, in a minute here but Jesus had to be man because man sinned and brought the curse on himself and all creation yet he could not be Um, man merely right Uh, question 16 uh, takes us into not just man but perfect man someone read question 16 for us why is it necessary that the mediator be very man and perfectly just as well okay so very man and perfectly just Uh, not just a man but a righteous man in other words because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned do itself likewise make recompense for sin. 
but he that is himself a sinner cannot make recompense for others. Because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which hath sinned should likewise make satisfaction for sin, and one who is himself a sinner cannot satisfy for others. Okay? Let's take a look at Romans 5, 12 through 17. Romans 5, 12 through 17. Okay, let me have someone read verses 12 through 17 for us, nice and loud. Sorry, Barani, are you at Romans 5? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm thinking Romans 12. That's okay. Romans Yes. 12 to 17. Yep. Go down to verse uh, Thank you. So again, we see the law of God was violated by rational man, with uh, one with a rational mind, uh, soul, and it had to be satisfied uh, in order for righteous to be satisfied or the righteous requirements of the law. Uh, the mediator had to fit the description of uh, one with a rational soul and mind. Now, if we go back to Hebrews, I'm going to jump back here and then connect it to Romans 12 or uh, 5, hopefully. Um, if we go back to Hebrews uh, 10, and uh, a body you have prepared for me, right, the, the, the Son of Man would, would take to himself human nature, right, with a rational soul and mind. Um, you have taken no pleasure in burnt offerings. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Well, speaking of the Son of Man, the, the fulfillment of the will of God here is tied to a body having been prepared for the Son of Man. That he would, uh, in, his, uh, in the incarnation, fulfill all righteousness, accomplishing the will of God perfectly. And in that way, become our Redeemer, 
our mediator, our righteousness, our sanctification and redemption. Now, going back to um, Romans 5 there, when we think about, I've mentioned this in past classes and different series, but when we think about what uh, the Son of Man, what Jesus accomplished, uh, it helps us to look at what Adam failed to accomplish, right? Um, We see where he dropped the ball by seeing where Christ um, uh, conquered, where he achieved, where he succeeded, where he was obedient, where Adam was disobedient, Christ was obedient, where Adam failed to do the will of God, Christ did the will of God. What Adam failed to purchase for his posterity, uh, eternal life in a state of righteousness, Christ um, achieves for all those who are in him, eternal life in a state of righteousness. Um, Hebrews 12, verses 17 through 18 says of Christ, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He had to be made like his brothers, right? That he might become a faithful high priest. Jesus took to himself a nature like Adam. In Genesis 3, Jesus was prophesied to be the seed or offspring of the woman, of Adam's posterity. The Messiah would be Abraham's offspring, so physically descended um, in the line of David. He that sanctifieth, it says in in Scripture, Hebrews 2.11, he that sanctifieth and those who are sanctified are all one of one, that is, of the same nature. He that sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are of one source in the King James Version, of of the same uh, nature, like Adam, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Now listen to Hebrews uh, 2.14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. So when we think about uh, what our mediator is, when we talk about Jesus, we can um, fall on uh, two different sides of, of a road that we should stay in the middle of. On one side, we can emphasize the uh, deity of Christ and his divinity Um, to the neglect of his humanity. On the other side, we can emphasize Christ's humanity to the neglect of his divinity. But Jesus had to be truly God and truly man, truly man, but uh, righteous. So Christ, when we think about our own, I'll I'll talk about this in a sec. Maybe I should wait so I don't get ahead of myself. Um, I'll just read my manuscript. (laughs) Okay. Um, 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus was tempted, as we are, in order to redeem those who are being tempted. Jesus assumed flesh and blood in order to redeem those um, of flesh and blood. Jesus assumed a rational human mind and soul 
in the likeness of Adam in order to redeem those who share Adam's likeness. Christ could not redeem what he did not assume. But everything Christ assumed, he will redeem. But the mediator must also be righteous. Our Lord uh, took to himself uh, human nature, which includes um, human mind, uh, soul, um, uh, will, right? We, we ask the question, does, does Christ, uh, does he have one will or two wills, right? That, that can sound like, okay, well, what does that mean? Um, Christ had a, a human soul with uh, a, a human will, uh, and yet he is God, he's divine. And so uh, his will is uh, his eternal decree, right? So when we think about even Christ praying in uh, the garden um, of Gethsemane, and, and there's this, this, this tension, and he's, uh, he's, he's praying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Right. We have to think about this properly to make necessary uh, distinctions, not division in Christ, but distinctions in the same way we think about the Trinity. Um, distinctions is Christ's human will is praying and saying, not my will, but your will. Now, do, does that mean that Jesus human will wanted to go uh, in disobedience to God's divine will? No. Right. Jesus can have a human will, yet not be stained by the corruption of sin through Adam's nature. And we'll, we'll talk about that for, for a bit as well. I know I'm, I'm going deep, but I'm coming back up in a little bit to the surface. <laughs> but this is important for us to maintain as we think about the hypostatic union, that our Lord is truly man. Not just the appearance of a man, not just the shell of a man, but he's truly man, and yet he's truly God. Um, because Jesus is truly man and did have uh, a human will, uh, he is able to accomplish all righteousness and obedience by the power of the Spirit in order to achieve that righteousness, which becomes ours through regeneration by the power of the Spirit, right? So Christ must indeed, if he was just a shell, and a shell of a man with uh, full uh, divinity, with no humanity, uh, then someone could say, well, that's, that's cheating. How can Jesus be tempted and yet without sin? Right? How can we say that um, he, he suffered? Right? We, we have to maintain both, that he is truly God and truly man, and he must be in order to redeem. Um, Jesus must be free from the stain of original and actual sin. He must be man, but he must also be free from the stain of original and actual sin. Though Jesus was in the likeness of Adam in his human nature, he was filled with the Spirit from conception and through the virgin birth by the Spirit. He was kept unstained from the sin that was passed down through Adam's posterity. So he could not be our savior and redeemer if he was only man. He must be man and holy. He must be sinless. And we ask that, that question 
or we think about Christ's um, human nature and his, his divinity and his sinlessness even. Uh, so much of uh, scripture speaks of uh, the man of God, the Messiah being sinless, without corruption, um, no spot, uh, no, no wrinkle, no blemish. He must be the spotless lamb of God. Um, how can he, um, if he is in, uh, if he is truly human, how can he remain spotless? Um, if he is of Adam's posterity in that sense, uh, how can he, how is there no, no corruption in his human nature? The virgin birth by the Holy Spirit. Um, he was kept sanctified. He was sanctified by the Spirit even through the uh, virgin birth. Uh, Mary was sinful. She was fallen. She had a corrupt nature just like Adam. Uh, she was, uh, but through the conception by the Holy Spirit, uh, Christ's uh, spotless uh, humanity was uh, preserved. Uh, by the power of the Godhead. Um, Hebrews, I'm sorry, Isaiah 53, 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be sing- and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to become righteous. Uh, we see prophecy here that Christ would be the righteous one, uh, the, the holy one. First Peter 2.22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Um, th- thinking, back, thinking back to the, the um, uh, question 16 and the statement that a sinner cannot atone for the sin of sinners, right? He must be righteous in order to atone for sin. Uh, this is why we have to maintain and preach the righteousness of Christ. If Jesus had even one blemish in his soul, there is no redemption for man. I mentioned before, and I got this from someone else, I don't remember where, but he said, if everything we do were some hue of, if everything, if sin were blue, then everything we do would be some hue of blue. Um, all of our, our thoughts, our affections, our actions would all be tainted by sin. Not so with Christ. If this were the case, if, if any motive in Christ were tainted by sin, any intention of his heart, if there was any blue dye in there in any sense, then he's not a fit mediator. He cannot be. He had to suffer as the innocent one in order to ransom the guilty. Second Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The Lord performed perfect, personal, perpetual obedience. Obedience to the righteous law of God in the place of those who don't, who can't. In Jesus' baptism by John, he says to John the Baptist in Matthew three fifteen, Let it be so now and his baptism for this for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness jesus role as mediator is is priestly um, after the office of adam jesus role as mediator is also priestly after the office of, of, of adam adam was a priest in the garden and jesus was to be the same 
Genesis 2.15. It says the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden. Actually, I'm going to have you turn that. Turn to Genesis 2.15. And then after that, we're going to look at Numbers 3, 7 to 8. Genesis 2.15. And then put a finger at Numbers 3, 7 to 8. Okay, let me have someone read Genesis 2.15. Go for it. Okay. Now, where else do we see this language of work and keep? Where else do we see that? In Numbers. Numbers 3, 7 to 8. Turn to Numbers 3, 7 to 8. Numbers. Numbers 3, 7 to 8. And I'll read that for us. It says, uh, I'll start back at verse, in, in verse 5. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, bring the tribe of Levi near and set them before Aaron the priest that they may minister to him. They shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting as they minister in the tabernacle they shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting and keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister at the tabernacle. Same language is used here in Genesis 2, um, 15, except in Numbers 3, that's those same, those same Hebrew words used are used of the duties of the Levites, the priests of God. Same Hebrew language here. They shall guard it. They shall keep it. They shall guard it. Adam in the garden is given a similar commission to what we see here of the priest in the temple. He was to be God's uh, priest to minister his commands and ordinances to Eve and all of his posterity. To communicate to them what the law or what God's uh, righteous uh, commands required. Jesus fulfills all righteousness and fills up what is required by the law. Hebrews 2.17 says Jesus was made a faithful high priest in the service of God. So he didn't only take on the nature like Adam, but he took on an office like Adam in order to make propitiation for the sins of the people. We see what Adam failed to do by looking at what Christ did. We see what Adam was to be by looking at what Christ was. Okay, let's jump down to question 17 here. Let me have someone read question 17 for us. Okay, and then the answer, Ron, you want to read that too? Thank you. So it was necessary for our mediator that he should not only be man, 
and not only be a man that was righteous, perfectly righteous, but that he should also be God, the true and mighty God, and not an imaginary deity or one that was adorned with excellent gifts above angels and men, as the heretics suppose. Uh, this is what Yersinus says in his, his commentary. Not man, not merely man that is righteous, but God. Um, not just the created, uh, the, the greatest and chiefest of created beings, as heretics suppose. I'm in the middle of uh, conversations on this exact topic um, with uh, Jehovah's Witnesses I've been talking to for I don't know, the past year or so. Um, it's funny, I was in a neighborhood and they came there. I moved to another neighborhood and they were there. <laughs> I look diligent. Uh, and so we've been making these, you know, cycles and, and rotations and um, they're bringing the different elders and we're having these conversations and it's fine. You know, I, I actually enjoy it. So the last time we talked, last Friday, um, they brought another elder, a new elder, and I said, okay, um, let's just sort of get to <laughs> uh, what is the, the, the linchpin of my disagreements. There are many, but the nature of Christ, truly God, truly man, is he God? And so we agreed. We talked for about an hour and a half. Right as I started a movie I wanted to watch, so that was nice. Um, but we talked for about an hour and a half, and we agreed to exchange notes. I'll give them some things, some resources, some original languages, some stuff I had written out, and they would give me some stuff. We would change, exchange, we look at it for a couple of weeks, exchange it again, and then talk. So that's where I am now. So y'all can pray for me as I put together this thing for my friends. And they are pleasant, pleasant people. We have great, great conversations. Um, but I found that me writing it out is better than trying to talk for an hour and a half. <laughs> so do what you can do as you have these conversations and you know, make it work. But our mediator. So back to Christ. Um, is he merely the first and chiefest of created beings, as, as they say? Um, this idea about Christ as merely the first and chiefest of beings isn't new to Jehovah's Witnesses. This, this is an old, old heresy. Um, our mediator has to be God to endure the infinite wrath of God against sin. And Jesus, in a matter of hours, satisfies the wrath of God against sin. This punishment was temporal and that it began and ended, you could say, um, within a few hours, the concentrated um, uh, wrath of God being poured out on the Son of Man. Um, but it was infinite in its greatness and its value and the depth of what it achieved. If our Lord were merely man, he would have been crushed under the weight of God's wrath. Your sinus says, it was necessary, therefore, that he should be possessed of infinite strength and for this reason be God, that he might endure an infinite punishment without sinking into despair or being crushed under it. So truly man and truly God. The infinite wrath of God had to be satisfied by one of infinite value. And that can only be the case if he is also God. If Jesus were merely man, his death would not be um, say, equivalent to the eternal punishment that any one sin deserves. Right? We know that God is infinitely holy. Uh, any one sin deserves the infinite wrath of God because it's an offense against one who is infinite and eternal and immutable. This is why Jesus had to be truly God. 
because only one who is uh, eternal can in, uh, endure what one sin required, which is eternal punishment. Um, it was necessary that the ransom which the Redeemer paid should be of infinite value, that it might possess a dignity and merit sufficient to the redemption of our souls. Isaiah 55, 3 says, Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love to David. This covenant uh, between, uh, within the, the Trinity, uh, the covenant of uh, redemption, some have referred to it as, between the Father and the Son. Um, this, this can only be a reality if Jesus is truly God. Um, uh, 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Jesus could suffer once for sin because of the value and worth of his suffering as God or in, in his humanity because he is also uh, divine. We can consider the sufficiency of Christ as our mediator in both quantity and quality. Use Arnie language. Quantity and quality. Because he is truly God and man, his sacrificial death is not only sufficient for a certain length of time. His satisfaction for sin doesn't have an expiration date. One sin is enough to earn the eternal wrath of God. No mere creature would be able to satisfy God's wrath, but Christ's mediation is exceedingly great in value as well. The sinless perfection of his righteous life by the Spirit accomplished the merit necessary to be applied on our behalf. Your sinus says again, but these things could not have been accomplished by a mere man who and of whatever strength he might have been possessed if he nevertheless had not the power to come forth from death. It was necessary, therefore, that he who was to save others from death should overcome death by his own power and first throw it off from himself. But this he could not have done had he not been God. Okay? This he could not have done had he not been God. And so, again, when we think about our Lord, who is uh, truly God and truly man, and even now still uh, bears um, uh, sancti- uh, glorified uh, flesh, right? Christ is at the right hand of God, and he never put off his, uh, his, his human his, his, his humanity. He still has flesh right now. Um, so when we think about our Lord and his even now as he's at, at the right hand of God, um, we still can see, can ponder, can meditate on the, the, the reality that our Lord must, he had to be truly God and truly man for both, for, for many reasons, but one, to accomplish salvation for man, because a man has to atone for man's sin. And two, as truly God, in order for that to be sufficient eternally, he must be divine. Right? So 
when we communicate the gospel, when we proclaim the gospel, when we preach to our friends, neighbors, family, um, no, we might not get into all of the, the details and facets of the hypostatic union, but it's important for us to preach uh, Christ as truly God and truly man. Not a shell of one, not an, an imagination of the other, but both, uh, because he had to be both to be a sufficient savior. Um, okay, I'm gonna pray for us. Um, sorry we didn't get to 18 to 19, but we'll pick it up uh, next week, Arnie will. But let me pray for us, and then if you have thoughts and questions, we can come after, and then we'll, we'll talk. But I wanna honor the, the time here again. Let, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it is sufficient for life and godliness. We thank you that uh, you have uh, given us a savior, a, a mediator for sin, uh, the one man, Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray that you will continue to sanctify us in our hearts and minds, that we would, with joy and reverence and awe, give you thanks and really meditate upon what our Lord, our mediator, must be uh, in order to redeem us from our sin and to deliver us from the wrath of God. May this be for us not only meditative um, and cerebral, which it ought to be, but also meditative and unto worship and devotion, uh, the worship of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.